Good evening. Today is Monday, May 3rd, and we are studying the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter slash step is um, chapter three, more about alcoholism. My name is Rachel, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Hi, everyone. Um, and I always like it when I get to speak on this chapter, because this is really my favorite chapter. And this is the chapter that, um, you know, I was leading big book studies at one point and didn't really understand um, is the truth about this chapter. And um, my sponsor likes to call this chapter, um, instead of more about alcoholism, why I have to come to OA. I think I heard somewhere else that I really like um, as an alternate title, which is really more about powerlessness. Um, and I thought that I understood powerlessness before this last recovery that I got. Um, but the truth is what I really understood was the allergy. And, you know, the book has done a really good job at explaining the allergy. Um, but, you know, there were still things that I, you know, if you'd asked me, I would have said, I know that I'm powerless. But if you looked at my actions, um, my actions weren't those of somebody who knows that they're powerless. Um, because if they were, then I would have, um, I would have been working these steps. I would have been rushing to finish my amends. I would have been um, going to any lengths. And, and the thing is, is like, you know, it took me a while to get completely honest, but um, most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. Um, I got that I was bodily and mentally different from my fellows. I really did. Um, and, you know, it, it, it definitely, um, the idea that somehow someday I will control and enjoy my eating, um, you know, is really, you know, the way that that showed up for me is, is, is like thinking that I can go out for a weekend and come back. And the truth is, is like, I'm gonna take any back door that I leave myself. And, um, and I'm really gonna believe when I go out that I can actually control my next abstinence state that I'm gonna have any idea of when I'm gonna able, be able to do it and have it stick. Um, you know, many pursue this illusion into the gates of insanity or death. And we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. And the truth is, is like, that's not you. And that's not my sponsor. Like that's my innermost self. Um, the um, only without any reservations, like only knowing that not only am I going to not enjoy it, but that it's gonna make everything worse. And that I really might lose everything and die. Um, will I go deeper into the solution? You know, when something happens that throws me off emotionally in, in either direction, really. Um, and it's easy to say, oh, this is only food. You know, this isn't gonna kill me, but guys, our disease has a higher mortality rate than pure alcoholism does. You know, we die of heart attacks. We die of infected limbs that make us septic. We lose limbs from surgery. We, um, we have strokes. We, we die of horrible deaths. It, you know, those of us who are bulimic might die of sudden, sudden death syndrome. Um, this is a life or death thing in this fellowship. And, um, and the delusion that I'm like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. And here's the thing, right? somewhere around day 21, um, I really would settle in to kind of an abstinence and I would really, um, 
it, you feel so much better, you know, like once that allergy is lifted for the longest time, I thought that when the allergy was lifted, that meant that, um, I confuse that with the obsession being lifted. You hear people say that, right? The obsession was lifted for me right away, you know? And, um, and that's uh, like, for me, the desire to eat in this moment, you know, or, or the, the, the sense of that physical craving is gone. But what I didn't understand and what I have to understand is that it's the mental twist that makes me a real alcoholic eater. I am a real alcoholic eater. And I cannot rely on the memory of my last binge. I cannot rely on the pain that I experienced the last time I was lying in bed, propped up on like six pillows because my acid reflux is so bad and the food is already up to my throat and it's going up it like, you know, and I'm in pain and I have restless legs because the sugar withdrawal is actually causing uh, an opioid withdrawal neurological syndrome in my brain and I'm cramping and my temperature is dysregulated by the next day and I wake up and I'm absolutely like, I can't leave the room without putting a piece of chocolate in my mouth. Like I, I can tell you about this right now and I can see it pretty clearly in my head. But what this mental twist means, what this obsession means is that in the moment when I really need access to that memory, it's gonna be vague and it's gonna be hazy it's going to be readily supplanted with some threadbare idea that, you know, it's okay in this moment for this. It's not going to actually go there, you know? And, and the truth is, is like, we are in the grip of a progressive illness and it progresses towards pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Um, you know, and, and like it is in that second paragraph, I felt for a time that I was regaining control. Um, I really did. Um, I love what Ruth, I love Ruth. She's a speaker. And, um, I love her thing with the backwards flowing clock because basically I'm basically on a spiral that's spiraling inwards, but you can think of like, you know, like a pie slice of the clock. I think that I'm, I'm in recovery, but I'm just in a prolonged gap between binges is really what it is. And there's a, a really predictable sequence that happens there. And that spiral gets smaller over time. And, you know, at first I'm going three months with, between binges. And, you know, eventually I'm binging once a week, um, you know, and maybe I can get two or three days and then eventually I can't, I can't go a day and I wake up in the morning and you hook me up to a lie detector and I'm, I'm like, this is day one. Like I knew that this was day one and I can't get out of my bedroom without getting something that I've hidden in a drawer because my parents know about my food addiction because I was in recovery for so long. And so they absolutely know that I don't eat these things. So I have them hidden in the drawers while I'm quarantining in the beginning of COVID in their house because I can't actually keep them upstairs because I don't want them to know that I'm eating the things that I haven't eaten for the last year. Like they'd, like they'd judge me, right? Um, but this is what I am. You know, This is what I do as an alcoholic eater. Um, and um, so, yeah, there has been brief recovery with other things that I've tried um, over time, but inevitably I run into some mental blank spot and I pick up. So, you know, uh, by every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exception to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. Um, you know, and I, I did. I, when I was married, my husband was a foodie 
And um, food was really, really important to him. And I had a sneaking suspicion that he might end our marriage if I was completely abstinent the way that I was starting to suspect I needed to be. You know, cause I knew I had a sugar allergy but there was a fat allergy that I wasn't willing to acknowledge um, because it would have made it impossible for us to eat the things together that he wanted to eat. And so I tried everything. I, I tried every form of compromise that wasn't complete abstinence that you can imagine. And none of it worked. Like absolutely none of it worked. Um, and I couldn't string together more than two or three days with that, with that way of doing things. Um, I tried a whole bunch of things, you know, over the years, um, you know, I won't go into a lot of detail maybe on, on the equivalents for us with the methods that we've tried, like, you know, like eating honey only, um, limiting the number of cookies, um, never eating alone, like never eating breakfast, um, you know, intermittent fasting, um, never having it in the house, right? Cause I'm not allergic to it when it's in the restaurant. Um, eating only at parties, um, switching from, you know, Nestle to like this organic uh, brand of chocolate that's like, you know, locally sourced, um, you know, organic junk food. Um, go on and on and on, taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, every every diet, every way of manipulating my metabolism known to man, known to woman, known to every person on this planet, you can try to, um, you know, do something. I, I could check myself into a health spa. I went on a meditation retreat and I thought, okay, you know, um, I'm, I, I, I'm already kind of off because I had relapsed in the airport after 60 days this time, that one time. And I said, all right, well, you know, it's all vegan food. I will draw the line at sugar, but I will eat what they give me and what they're serving other than like these ingredients. I'll make them substitute these ingredients. And, and I thought I was going to be able to do that for the week. And I squandered a week at a meditation retreat because I was just in the food. I couldn't stop thinking about the food, you know, and that's, that's just how things are for me. There's a, a test, the Marty Mann test, right? And it's kind of referenced on the bottom of page 31, where it says like, if you want to diagnose yourself, try to, try to eat, you know, try to eat and stop abruptly. Right. And so the Marty Mann test, um, it was like, okay, what's your favorite drink? How much? All right. Two fingers of whiskey. When do you like to drink it? Happy hour. Okay. Every day for 30 days, no skipping days, no nothing. But every day at 30 days, you drink two fingers of whiskey, no more, no less. For me, the equivalent would be a little maybe half cup soft, you know, like single serving of ice cream, right? The idea of eating a single cup of soft serve ice cream and nothing else makes my skin crawl, like absolutely makes my skin crawl. I would rather not have any at all. Like that, cause I know, cause when I really stop to think about it, I know how uncomfortable I am when that craving kicks in. Um, so I got that early. I knew I had the allergy. Um, and I was, I was bulimic on my way to death um, in college. And, you know, I kind of combine, I, I compare myself to the man of 30 at this point, because there were times earlier on in my disease where I could put down behaviors or foods because I could see that they were interfering with my life. And in my case, there was something I wanted more and that was a relationship. So I, I got into the, a relationship with this human and I knew that I couldn't be spending all my time with them. And 
be binging and purging constantly. So I decided that I would cut down. And eventually I made the decision to, um, you know, just to not do it. And I, I went about three months while I was, um, so I was young, you know, I was just finished college. I was studying for the MCAT and I went about three months. And then, um, and one day I went, I, I don't know what happened, um, but I found myself in the bathroom and I threw up and I heard a voice inside my head and it said that was the last time. And it was for that behavior. Um, when I moved, I got an eating disorder therapist who told me, um, you know, that the path to recovery was just to tell yourself that, you know, no matter what you eat, no matter how much you eat, it stays down. And like the theory was that I would be so uncomfortable because I would be so full that I would learn not to overeat and I would learn what my satiety levels were. And like that part makes no sense to me. Like I got the like once it's down it stays down. And I think the only reason I was look today, if I stuck my finger down my throat, I have not, I would be dead. Like I couldn't stop again. I know I wouldn't have that in me. If I had any, there is just no question. I've never picked it up. I've considered it like, there's no such thing as one cigarette for me. There's no such thing as, as one anything for me. There just isn't. And so I've been able to keep it down, but, but I think because I was a man of 30 and I wanted something more at the time. And so what the therapist told me was enough, but you know what? I didn't stop binging. I just didn't understand because nobody, nobody showed me this book. Nobody explained to me why there were some things I ate and I ate until I wanted to explode, you know, like, um, and, um, and, um, you know, I, I think about this because, you know, it says then he felt victim to a belief, which practically um, every compulsive overeater has that their long period of sobriety and self-disciplines had qualified them to drink as other humans, right? To eat as other humans. Um, chronological time gives me nothing. It, it means nothing. I haven't strung as many days together as I have, and it's been about a year. Um, I have not strung that many days. Um, what I have strung together is somehow maintaining a connection to a higher power. Um, I, I could lose that. I mean, cause I don't, you know, to understand my powerlessness, if I stop doing my, my 11 step nightly reviews and I've got, um, I've got a sponsor who's really like, uh, I don't know if you'd say liberal or conservative on amends, but believes in like making even the most minor of amends, right? So I'm making a lot of amends. If I slow down on those amends, like if I stop making them and some of them are gonna take me years to even finish, right? Um, then I don't understand powerlessness. Um, that's really what it comes down to. Um, and that's really what this, this book tells me. Like I, um, if I'm planning to stop eating, I can't have any reservations of any kind or any lurking notion that someday I'm gonna be immune to alcohol. And the treatment for that is the steps. Um, because I'm not, in my experience with relapse is that I don't, I don't pick up where I left off. I pick up where I would have gotten to if I had been going the entire time. Five minutes, um, Rachel. Five yeah. minutes. Yeah, that peculiar mental twist. I'll just give a couple examples of, of the peculiar mental twist um, that I've had. Um, um, right, because it says what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic and that's, that's it, right? Thinking is my problem, not circumstances, events, or feelings. Um, uh, you know, like with Jim, right? So he's going, he, he goes, he's looking for a car. I would go, I remember when I was in relapse and, and early uh, COVID, I would go to Walmart, you know, for something like a pair of pants, 
You know, that's what I told myself. I didn't need a pair of pants. I'm living in my pajamas. And somehow I would find myself in the grocery aisle and the ice cream aisle, you know, and, and suddenly the thought would pop into my head that it can't hurt me on a blah, 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 you know, or like, what am I doing? And I would flirt with it, you know, and like, and like three or four times I'd get away with going to Walmart and not get anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I knew the physical and mental suffering, like I was in it. You know, I would get like 12 days. So I had 12 days, 12 precious, precious days, you know, or something like that. Um, and some insanely trivial excuse would come about. Um, I think one of the most insanely trivial excuses was at my wedding, I was, um, I was really kind of almost in relapse and I didn't, I didn't realize that I had, I had um, done a diet. I relapsed with a diet to fit into a wedding dress, but I had my, I had my meal planned for my wedding and the caterer had assured us that there was no sugar in anything. They gave us an ingredient list between the reception and um, between the ceremony and the reception. And it turns out that there was sugar in it. And, you know, I, I'm in 11 stepping my brains out, but it's my wedding and things are crazy. And I'm, I am not as spiritually fit as I need to be in this moment. And, um, and my friends are, you know, I had, I had other friends who, who were chefs, who catered, who made these like wonderful sugar, like all, all, all absent ingredient appetizers. And I knew that my friends were going around gathering them, but I'm still thinking like, I'm not going to get enough to eat. I'm not going to get enough to eat. And I reach for a Johnny cake in the kitchen and I take a bite, just a bite. And I hear one of my friends who's the who catered this as a gift to us, whisper to the other, should we tell her it has sugar? And you're like, no, 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 it's her wedding. Like, shh, don't do it. But I heard that. And so the insanely trivial excuse, the thought that pops into my head is, I need to eat six of these in front of them right now, or they're gonna think that I'm faking my allergy to sugar and the fact that I'm a compulsive overeater. What? What kind of insanity is that? You know, and that's how I started my marriage. And that's how my marriage went. Um, and two Rachel, two minutes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I always knew I was a jaywalker guys. If you've heard people talk about the jaywalker, um, but I thought that self-knowledge would fix it. And I think that's the other piece in here, you know, um, Fred thought that self-knowledge was going to fix it. And I thought that, and you know what that looked like, what that looked like for me was me eating as long as I stick to my meal plan and I commit my food to my sponsor, then there's no way I can go out. Like there's no way that I can, you know, compulsively overeat. That is relying on self-knowledge. Um, I think that I can monitor my behavior and pick up the phone to solve my problem that I'll recognize the insane thought. Like that's not understanding powerlessness either. Um, um, and the spiritual, the spiritual remedy, you know, that am I ready to accept it? And once I really, really accept my powerlessness as it is laid out, as it is the thinking that is laid out here, then my choices become obvious and everything, if I, if I don't do my fourth or fifth step, you know, thoroughly, if I don't um, do my 11th or, or, or if I'm not in 12, then, you know, or I haven't finished my amends, then, then I still have a first step reservation. I still have a reservation of my powerlessness because I think that it's something about me that is keeping me from compulsive eating today and not a freaking miracle of source flowing through me, providing the power that keeps me aligned in a way that I don't need the food. I don't need the food. It doesn't pop into my head and I'm free from it. 
Um, but the moment I start thinking that I'm doing this and that, you know, I've got this time and I've accomplished anything, I'm screwed. I'm absolutely screwed. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm about at time, but. Um, 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. 10 seconds. Self-knowledge isn't going to fix it, guide. Like my ego's running the show. And um, I can't possibly stay on guard. Can't, can't do it. Higher power can though. <laughs> Thanks guys for letting me share. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Um, okay. Uh, we will now open up the meeting for questions or three minute shares as this is a big book study sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone and Zoom and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order, which means she needs to open the participants screen. Um, would the timekeeper please set up a, a timer for three minutes for each chair and announce when the time is up? Okay, um, I see um, Michelle O. Hello, I am Michelle O. I'm in Detroit and I have tears in my eyes. I feel so emotional listening to you. Thank you so much, Rachel. Um, one of my favorite things that you said was um, in, in debunking this idea of self-knowledge, we'll fix it, like that you would even be able to recognize the, the lie in, in your own brain. Like, and I, I had an experience today where I, I picked up the food today and I, I don't even really know the insanely trivial reason, but I, I know that if you had asked me earlier in the day, how are you doing? I would have said I was fine and I would have meant it. And I didn't know that I was off. And, um, that's, I didn't have, I don't have the ability to recognize the lies, you know, when I'm in that state. And so clearly self-knowledge won't work because, um, I, I can't see, I don't have that vision. I don't have that frame of reference. I need a different vantage point of higher vantage point um, from power greater. I don't have more to say than that. Um, I'm so grateful for this meeting. Thank you all. That's all. Thanks for sharing. Um, Elena. Hi everyone, I'm Elena. I'm a compulsive overeater and exercise bulimic. Um, Rachel, thank you. Um, thank you for presencing the, um, the seriousness of this disease. Like I'm feeling really emotional as well. Um, and I um, also need to control it. I think that I know better. I think that, um, you know, my knowledge, I've, you know, my whole, I, I've even, you know, let me substitute this for that. And then it became, you know, then my disease turned into orthorexia where I was eating super clean. And then I was binging on the super clean foods. Um, you know, and I just have to say, you know, this does kill us. I kind of like take it lightly, like, oh, I just have a problem, you know, I don't even know, but my God, I'm not, you know, I'm almost six months abstinent and 
this, I'm on vacation right now and other vacations have been full of hospital visits, EKGs. My life was EKGs and hospital visits and from restricting and over-exercising and going to various doctors, not understanding why, why, why am I sick? Why is my body doing this? Cause I'm, cause I'm not taking care of it <laughs> because I'm putting a ton of sugar in it that I'm restricting. And then I'm like my whole nervous system. I don't even know how I'm alive. Like you said, you can die instantly from this. And my heart was doing some really funny things for years and years and years. And I'm just so grateful that I didn't, um, blow it up, like blow up this vacation this time. Like I'm not in the hospital. Um, this is my first absent vacation in, in years. Um, and I do have to, I, I have to remember that it is the mental twist. I can't intuitively eat. That's just me. I can't do it. And as much as I want to, and I went and I've met these intuitive eaters and like, I'm trying to be, I'm not, I can't do it. It's the mental twist. Like, that's what it is for me. That tells me to exercise more, to eat less, to, you know, whatever it is, I have to remind myself of that. Um, and then the last thing that you said was um, chronological time brings me nothing. Literally, I've, I haven't even been absent. I'm like a baby in this program. And I'm still thinking, you know, that there's something that I'm doing just because I'm like being compliant, but it's like, it's higher power that's doing all of this. And like you said, I get myself into trouble when, um, when I think that it's anything that I'm doing, it's not. Um, and so I, I really, really have to grasp that concept. I appreciate you saying that because um, I can do things so the cows come home, but it's not from me. It's not of me. Um, and there's just a lot for me to be grateful for tonight. I really, really thank you. I've never heard you share before. Um, and, uh, and that's it. Thank you. Thanks, Elena. Amy B. Rachel, thank you so much for your service tonight and sharing. And thanks to everybody else who's who's reading, who's sharing, who's just here adding your energy to the collective. Thank you so much. Rachel, what an impactful share. Um, I wrote, I took many, many notes. Um, no such thing as one cigarette. That was my like sort of understanding of like addiction. And when I crossed it over to my food, but I actually have a question for you. Um, you speak so just knowledgeably about withdrawal symptoms and the way that our body feels and the and all of that stuff and lack of knowledge is not our dilemma. And so basically what I want to ask is through your, you know, obvious value on knowledge, how did you, did you come in with a higher power? Did you have to get over the knowledge thing for the higher power? And, and, and could you speak to a little bit how that, how the higher power overcame the idea that self-knowledge would fix it? Thank you so much. Who, um, I was willing for a higher power. I think I'd had a spirituality when I was younger and I lost it and I got real sick. Um, for me, my higher power started as an experience and it was mostly experiences of synchronicity of noticing that I would have a challenging experience and then go into a meeting and that would be the subject of the meeting, the topic, um, or realize that I had just been through something and then by random coincidence, I'd be talking to this newcomer and like actually be able to help them. And 
I, I started getting truth chills, you know, those, that, those chills that run up my arm. And that was all that my conception of my higher power was or needed to be in the beginning. Um, for me, um, you know, they say it in AA, they say it everywhere. Like you can definitely be too, you, you can't be too stupid for this program, but you can be too smart. And like my intellect, like, here's the thing, you know, like any of my knowledge about neurophysiology, any of that, um, that's outside issues. That's the, that may as well be opinion for all that it's useful here because I can sit there and hide and, and I can intellectualize the steps guys. Like I can analyze and intellectualize the steps and that's not going to help me. So, um, for me, it really is. Um, I had to work the steps to get an experience. If you're in the early stages of the steps, like step two, and you're not having some experience of your own conception of God, guess what? You're not supposed to, you're not promised that in step two, like you just have to be willing. And so for me, I was willing to have an experience. And then I let the steps give me my experience. And over time I came to identify the experience that I was having those truth chills, those coincidences, those whose voice was that, that just came out of my mouth. You know, I, I began to, you know, you can think of it as your higher self, or your soul or your higher soul. It's like, you're getting your ego out of the way so that your true self, you know, which is connected with your soul can come through. However you want to think about it. I just had to take the actions to get out of the way. And then whatever the experience I had was and the power that I have a visceral connection to and like actually get to feel in my life. Like I can call that God. I can call that source. I can call that the flow. I can call that the river. And depending on who I'm talking to, I do. It's an anonymous source of power. And that's all it has to be is a source of power that I can feel and hear and, you know, practically touch. So thank you very much. Uh, Kira B. Hi, Rachel. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you so much for your share tonight. I, I really appreciate it and um, was very moved. I also have a question. Um, so like on 31, it says instances of a uh, brief recovery followed always by a still worse relapse. And you spoke about relapse and you, st I, I feel like you started to say, or maybe you said this thing about um, your relapse. It was like starting back up where you would have been if you had stayed in your disease and active addiction. And I can recall like being, um, I can recall relapsing and thinking um, or literally saying out loud, oh, like I lost my abstinence, but I didn't lose everything I learned. And I'm just wondering like how, what advice would you give now to someone in terms of like humbling yourself, reapproaching, like going through the steps again, or I don't, I don't, that's sort of my question about relapse and getting back into it. I pray that you get the humility to do that. I pray that I would, if I needed to. Um, for me, like, um, Sometimes it was you know, like I, the, the, when I really became willing to go to any lengths, I had relapsed on a business trip and I got desperate and I listened to a vision for you and I got a sponsor from the line and I did whatever they told me to do. And when I came home, I told my husband that I was going to be eating on this meal plan and we wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to share food with him. And um, four days later, he um, told me he wanted to get a divorce and I didn't eat. I didn't pick up. Because I, I knew in that moment, like I knew how um, it was like, this is coming at too high of a cost. 
And I went 60 days and thank God I did because I had some semblance of a connection to higher power while we were, you know, separating and, and it could actually be kind of a beautiful experience because I was accepting it. And I was just sort of like letting, you know, the thing I call God direct the events, but he dropped me off at the airport after 60 days. And um, the mental twist happened the night before in a diner. It was our last meal together. And it's something like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I can have this thing that I know has more fat than I can handle. But in the moment I'm thinking like, no, it doesn't have sugar. It's, it's, it'll be fine. It's just an egg. Um, and, uh, you know, like fried egg at a, at a waffle house or whatever. And sure enough, the next day when he drops me off at the airport, I don't have access to whatever I'd had access to for the last 60 days. And what I really needed to do was go sit in the corner and cry somewhere um, but what I did instead was like, went to the chocolate shop or whatever. And, and absolutely like it was, wor I didn't think it could get worse than it was 60 days prior, but it was that much worse, you know? And, and, and the thing is, is I had started working with a sponsor. I was, um, I was still pretty much in step one and I was on a step one merry-go-round. And I think what they're talking about on page 31 is that sort of step one merry-go-round where I'm not. I'm not going through with the steps. I'm not going ahead with the steps, but um, I did, you know, like I, I had to basically do that. I had a, I had a sponsee up until a couple of weeks before I admitted that I had been in relapse for a year um, towards the end of my marriage. You know, it was like this low grade relapse. It didn't look like what I thought relapse was, but it was relapse. You know, it just wasn't as bad as it was before. Um, or it wasn't, It you know, it was, I didn't go back to sugar. It was the other things. Right. And so I, I, I got by with that for a long time and I never felt more than two or three days and it was, it was miserable, you know? Um, and, and it, you know, getting honest is not easy. And, um, I don't, I don't think I have any advice in that, but I am sure that in that position, I wouldn't be able to stop until I did get honest. And I think sometimes about what it would be like trying to like keep sponsoring and keep pretending and not be honest and like get two and three days and then just like keep talking at meetings like this. And um, it's really sad. It's a really sad thing to even think about. Egos are funny. Um, Daisy, B. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much, really. That was awesome. I got a lot from that. Um, I really appreciated your example about the wedding and about like eating the six Johnny cakes, just like, you're not going to believe me that I'm a compulsive reader. And I so relate to that insanity. And it's just like such a reminder to me, like, even, even if the craving didn't get me, even if I didn't even want the thing, like my disease would get me there somehow. It would get the food into my system somehow. And it was so much like, you can't differentiate the truth from the false. You know, there was so much craziness up there. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know, this whole chapter and everything you touched on, it's like, they talk about how like, this might seem a little bit ridiculous, you know, how insane we're making these people out to be. And to me, it's like, that. <laughs> I was so insane. And it got to the point where I knew I was insane, but like, I, I didn't know what I wasn't insane about. And I didn't know I was insane about my own insanity. And it was just like, it was so muddled and crazy. So every example you provided was, was awesome. And all the methods you tried. Um, so I appreciate you being here and speaking for us tonight. Thanks. Um, maybe one more chat.